0: what does the word intentional mean for you? Oh man, intentional is just, how do I use that? It's being intentional about what you do, right? Like, and I, I'm very intentional. Like we, you know, my wife and I talk about who we hang out with, you know? And so hopefully if you're one of my friends on this podcast, you're very important to me because we're very intentional. Like we want to hang out with the right people. Uh, and, and it's not, it's not, you know, who believes more, but just do we have the same beliefs? Are we doing the same things?
1: Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. Very excited for today's guest. I know you're going to love the conversation. I had an absolute blast. My guest today's name is Brian Roars. He is the co-founder and owner of Roars Companies, who together with his brother, Ken, they have created a $2.2 billion real estate empire in just over 10 years since 2012 when they got into it. And if you're wondering why you should be tuning in, here are a couple things about Brian that I think will uh, get you excited. First, he started by purchasing single-family homes around the University of Minnesota while he worked at KPMG, and Brian progressed to co-founding Anderson Rohrer CPAs before making the leap by switching full-time into real estate. So he he gives the account of how he jumped from KPMG to buying his own firm and then getting bought out of his own firm to go full all-in on real estate, highlighting his incredible ability to adapt and capitalize on opportunities. And underneath his guidance, Rohrer's companies not only weathered multiple financial crises, but they also strategically thrived, actually, because they knew where they were going and what they were good at, highlighting his leadership through successfully dealing with multiple stakeholders who all had needs and wants from Brian and the rowers companies as they were growing while in these high stakes situations and he explains how they dealt with those uh, situations through transparency and integrity where everybody walked away feeling that they got what, what they deserved and that they were heard because this whole theme of people and numbers by melding those two together, Brian and Kent and Roar's companies has succeeded beyond most people's wildest dreams. And this is all shown because throughout Brian's journey, he constantly is prioritizing transparency, honesty, and trust building. However, yet he is extremely competitive and that has all rolled throughout his entire culture. And what this has done for Roar's companies is built enduring bonds with investors, who trust Rohrer's company and their team and their culture with their money to deploy it the right way with all the right expectations. And their company culture is all driven in transparency, integrity with that ability to lean into hard situations. So that way everybody can keep moving forward and everybody knows where everybody's at because the numbers and the people are front and center. Today, Brian's going to be sharing with us the journey and understanding the sheer power of entrepreneurial resiliency. I think that there's a bunch of examples in this conversation that are going to show you that a powerful vision will allow people to go through crazy uh, obstacles in order to accomplish their goals. And I think that that is a great example of intentional growth because it's a clear outcome and purposeful action towards that clear outcome. And the purposeful action might not always be easy for the most part, it's usually not easy. So I think that the clear goal allows us to do the hard work to get there, to have the hard conversations that Brian describes in this interview. So if you want that clear goal and to understand what you should be doing in order to get to your goal, go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit, where I walk you through in a case study how to project out the financials and the value of a company using the financials. So you'll be able to see how the Numbers can be clearly identified years in advance. So that way, then you can roll that plan out to your people so you can have the power of numbers and people like Brian's talking about in this interview. And the starter kit link is in the show notes below. It's free access. All you have to do is plug in your name. There's going to be no spamming. You just go in and get to check out the videos and you have access to the entire podcast archive library as well. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Brian Rowers. You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace. And you sit there and go, how do you know, and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right, thing when realistically you have the option just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash the reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor whether that's sell part of it or some of it essentially just have as many choices as you want But what we find is that most times, entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing in doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going. But we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment, because if you organize your financials in a certain way, and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials, and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner, and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the decisions clear today to say if i do these things what's the impact on cash flow today my ability to fund my growth take the distributions pay for taxes all while staying in line progressing towards the valuation that i want so go take the assessment below and i hope you enjoy Brian, how are you this morning
0: doing awesome man really really happy to be here thanks for having me
1: ryan i'm so excited man i uh I'm gonna tell this story because I was I was wondering whether I should or shouldn't, but I I thought it was too good of when I actually met you for the first yeah. time. So you're we're we're alumni from the same college, and uh, you I was sitting there it was '09. I'm graduating. No one has job offers yep. at all. Like everybody, like St. John's. What do we normally like 98% placement? And right. I think it was completely inverse. Two percent of people had jobs. Yeah, and I was a salesperson looking for like you know a thousand dollars a month, and I had interviewed twice with you. Absolutely jived with your energy, your personality, and you looked at me and you're like, "Dude, I want to hire you," but like, you're not gonna be good at this job. And I was like crushed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why don't you explain to people what you were doing then? Because it's wildly different than what you're doing now. Yeah. And I think it's just an interesting way to launch off of the conversation.
0: No, I appreciate that. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's. I mean, the stories are fun, and, and those are moments like that when I remember, I don't forget either because you sit back and you're like, "Dude, I, I mean, this is an incredible spot to be in," but. Ryan has so many things he can do, and this is probably not the one that's been most successful for him. And what, what, and what was the job? Yeah, right? <laughs> so I was uh, at the time we owned a CPA firm, and so we were traveling across the country working with hospitals, uh, working on their taxes. And so we always laughed because you know hospitals don't know taxes because they're all not-for-profits. Tax people don't know anything about hospitals, and so it was a great it was a great field to be in. We did we had really a lot of fun did did a lot of good things for hospitals out there. But what we would do is we'd literally download. An entire hospitals patient accounting system. So I would look for, I mean, we would take it and flip it. We had 50 million lines of data, which is not a big deal today, but that was a big deal back then. So we'd have all this data and we'd sit for hours in our conference room, just analyzing the different trends. And our sole goal was to find out where the government, Medicare, Medicaid had underpaid our clients. And it happened all the time. And we just had to find it and so it was a matter of going through the volume of transactions so i remember sitting there with you i'm like dude, i don't i mean i would love it'd be fun to sit in the conference room with you analyzing data but
1: yeah, if i could sit there long i'm enough, not sure you didn't right?
0: sit there long enough and, and clearly <laughs> i didn't do uh fantastic that wasn't my best spot either but uh you know we just knew what we were digging for and, and really loved helping out these hospitals and so we worked with the biggest hospital in the country uh florida hospital down in orlando florida and probably the smallest you know in Weirton, west virginia and places like that so it was a great field to be
1: in, uh, but that was that was uh, one of my upbringings. Oh, my so great, man! So let's 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 take the listeners back to how you got into tax and accounting, because I, I mean, now you're in real estate, and we're going to get to how like what your guys's unconventional approach towards real estate, where you guys are deploying the funds, and why. But like how you got into tax, because Brian, when we were catching up, you were, you explained how you got into the tax and the accounting firm, mm-hmm. and it, from the kind of the bigger the bigger shops. But you you made a couple moves that were you know might not look obvious from the outside, I mean, and that's what we want to dive into is like how did you make those moves? But how did you get land into the tax world? Yeah, no, you know it goes back ways
0: obviously, but I never my parents owned two small businesses growing up. They had a lawn care business and a retail feed mill. Uh, if you'll have the little gray elevator that are in all the small towns, and uh, we we were just always business. That's what we talked about as a family. That's so what we did. And so when I went up to St. John's, uh, big plug for the Johnnies and the Bennies. Um, we, uh, we, I literally, I was going to be a management major and one of the professors said, you know, you can do a double major management and accounting in just four years with just a little (laughs) bit more. And so I, you know, being a simple mathematician, two for one, that seemed to make sense, said I'll never be an accountant. Um, but yeah, I went through school. I actually loved accounting though, to be candid. I loved doing it. Um, got to the end of it. I got, you know, I graduated in 01 when, uh, you know, it was, it was when anybody with a beating heart. I was getting hired as an accountant. None of us knew Enron was about to happen and WorldCom and all those things. And so- (laughs) um, You
1: both graduated in wonderful periods. I know, right? It was, (laughs) I mean, it was
0: great. I I laughed, you know, within six months of me having my job. So I I graduated, went downtown uh, Minneapolis at KPMG. It was a great firm. Um, Got hired by another Johnny in their their tax consulting practice. And that was what I did. I helped businesses find areas. They'd overpaid their taxes. And so uh, it was a great couple, three years I was there. But uh, met a lot of great people. And, uh, and that was when, you know, the, the sideline to it is what really starts where we're at today because I always laugh. I, I moved in with my brother, Kent, and uh, I don't think the wheels on my, my car were cold from arriving out at St. John's. And he's like, let's, let's buy some real estate. Let's go. Let's, uh, let's do something. And I'm like, all right. And uh, he was making a ton <laughs> of money at the time. Uh, he was a sales guy. And uh, so he would send money and I'd go buy houses. And so that's when we got our start on the real estate side of it. We were doing our day jobs. You know, I was a CPA working at KPMG, and then nights and weekends, we were out flipping, rehabbing, you know, lease to own, anything
1: we could do to um, to get real estate and grow value in those markets. Well, what was that like, Brian, what, like with... W- Chat with your other colleagues who are just, pro- I mean, were they grinding towards partner 2,200 hours and you're sitting here going, hey, we got cash coming in and we don't have to work. I mean, I can only imagine like the, the the disconnect as far as like what you're seeing, what's working versus what they're, what they're planning on doing for 30 years.
0: Yeah, no, you know, it's probably a combination. I actually had a sign on my desk at the time that uh, I got teased for, but I, I put a sign up that said, I, I will do today what others won't so I can do tomorrow what others can't. And uh, really what it stemmed from. You know, we were in the age of having, uh, uh, of happy hours. And I mean, you know, KPMG, they hired 54 of us that year. And so we'd go out to happy hour, hang out. And I did that as much as I could. But after after that, you know, I was headed up to Fridley to go rehab a house. And so it really was just, I mean, that was more of it. I mean, yeah, there was a few people that were grinding out, you know, going for partner. But uh, mostly it was just the social side of it. And, you know, I got married young. My wife was awesome. She was, she went for a master's and so she was busy in school. And so that was how we did it.
1: So, and you, and you guys jumped to start your own. So why did you start your own firm versus going right into real estate then? Yeah. So, well, so in
0: 2005 or six, I think it was 2005, I was 26 years old. Uh, The firm I was at, I had just left KPMG. Uh, This is where I, I mean, our team, so I go fast forward back and forth, but Roar's Uh Companies. Yeah. yeah. Go for it. I I believe in teams so much because I was at this firm in 2003, four and I just didn't fit. I mean, they were a great firm, good traditional, you know, 85-year-old company. Um, but I was getting in trouble all the time for
1: different things. I was not a culture fit, you know? And, well, uh, okay, because well, we you're going to be describing your firm now and in, in a little bit. So I got to understand, why were you the, the the ugly duckling or the black jelly bean, <laughs> whatever you want to call it? So we were doing contingency fee, right? So you go to traditional accounting,
0: they bill hours, and uh, they bill you for your tax return, and that's how it works. So, so my first thing business-wise is, I'd go into a firm. I would do contingency fee, meaning if I found a million dollars, we got a four hundred thousand dollars fee. And uh, so I'd have projects where I would light it up, right? We we would get four hundred thousand dollars fee or two hundred thousand dollars fee. And you know the guy next to me is cranking on a tax return at one hundred twenty bucks an hour. But then I would bust, right? So every once so I'd go out. I'd look. I didn't find anything. So I'd come back. There was a loss. And so I had partners who were like, "Hey Brian, uh, where's this loss here? You lost the firm five thousand dollars." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I I agree." But the next line yeah, but is. But I the, made
1: three hundred and eighty grand last like, month. <laughs> the next thing down is an
0: eighty-eight thousand dollar write up. Like it's a write up, and that's a five thousand loss. And they were like, "Yeah, but Brian, we got to talk about this five thousand loss." I'm like, "Guys, like I'm just I'm not a I'm not a detail guy. Like I'll win long term for you guys." But so that was so, so that was the business side of it. But then I got in trouble. Like I wanted to go out and celebrate his teams. I got in trouble. I made a bet with a guy that on some project, if he lost. He had to run around the office singing uh, We Will Rock You. And he had to do three laps <laughs> around the office. And uh, that landed me into the managing partner's office. Like, okay, Ryan. Oh, come on. That, that,
1: that's even a PG song. I man. know, right?
0: So, but no. But that was the day I knew. Like, when I got in the managing partner's office that day, I was like, man, this is not working. And so I went to the partner I was with at the time. And I'm like, we really got to roll this thing outside. And so you, it was it was a great fit. The firm was like, you know what? We're kind of tired of you guys, to be honest. And we were like, great. So we literally bought the firm. So I was 26 years old. I uh, took on more debt than I ever thought I should. And uh, we grabbed our laptops uh, at, at the applause of the firm, moved next door, rented office space and started up. And that's uh, that was Anderson no Roars Accounting CPAs. So that was... And
1: it was it was Kent, was it your brother involved in that? No, it was old? a business
0: partner I had that I had followed from KPMG. She was a partner okay. there. Again, I believe in following people, leaders. Um, she was an awesome teacher, You know, hardworking, uh, very smart, bright lady. And we hit it off, and and I was probably more of the risk side of it because, of course, I was 26 years old. I'm like, dude, we can do this. And so we did it, um, and the quick story, we did really awesome the first year, and then our second year in business, I would say I lost more money uh, than people believe, and my wife supported our house, paid our mortgage. Um, and well, while
1: you're paying out the debt, losing money,
0: right? Yeah. That's, that's That goes over well, right? Exactly. And so, so it's – I mean, those are the cycles, and, and all during that time, we never let off the gas pedal on uh, real estate because – even to your point you mentioned 2009 you know we sold a bunch of properties in five and six as we were starting the firm and just because i didn't like the real estate market at the time in 09 uh, my brother and business partner today was like brian we gotta start buying and i even me i was like dude are you kidding me i mean bear stearns just went down you know this is so the,
1: the collapse is kind of the the downward spiral is starting to happen
0: yeah so downward spiral is happening i'm winding up the cpa
1: firm um, and we start buying real estate, uh, and, and I'm like, Isn't that crazy, Brian? I had these guys, I don't know if you caught, uh, visibility of it. I interviewed these guys um on the podcast a, a couple weeks ago and they had bought like 250 or 300 million dollars worth of real estate and the analogy of the, the of uh robin colin said you ever try to catch a falling knife that's what we were trying to do as we were selling our properties is like they literally had to turn in he goes "I we had to turn in our range Rover keys for a bike and that we went from the penthouse to the outhouse i mean literally yeah. the opposite like because of the timing crazy totally. yeah
0: No, and that's, well, that's what, and I know you wanted, uh, we wanted to talk about this, but at some, if you want to do it now, I can, but like, as we fast forward at Roar's Companies, we had a time period like that, Um, but that's where, you know, we started the firm in 2012, um, and it was kind of a great convergence. Kent and I had always wanted to work together. Um, I tease him because he's more in the relationship sales side of the business. As you can imagine, I'm more of the systems operations.
1: However, you, you're about to say that you're the ops and systems, but didn't you tell me on our last call that, because I was telling you my story about knocking on doors when I was a of sales rep and didn't know anything. You just went to the tallest building and you were cold calling for taxes. That's Like right. yes. <laughs> so so y- y- even though you're the systems guy, you, you were cold calling for taxes, which maybe just like the conversation you had with me in 09, maybe you were in the wrong profession. Yes. <laughs> and so... So let's bring it, let's go to. So you buy the firm, you're obviously, if your wife and you guys are having that conversation about, you know, the losses and the debt payment. If you come out of that, so like what did you come out of that? How did the conversations happen with your partner? Cause you make a big shift to real estate with your brother. So how did those conversations kind of unfold and um, how did they, how did they, yeah, how did they unfold?
0: Yeah, you know, the biggest thing at the time was um, I really wanted to wind the firm up and I wanted to go more national with it. Uh, My partner, and again, an incredible lady, uh, she was, I think she was 60 or 65 at the time. So we were just in different worlds, right? I'm 35, she's 65. I'm looking to wind up. Um, She has a great thing going. She wants to maintain it. And so I I always say, this is the day you know you did things right. I went to her with the buy-sell. and I'm like, hey, um, either I'll buy you out or you buy me out. I'll I'll take either side of this buy-sell. I'm like, I believe in this firm. I, I love it. If you want to buy me, if you want me to buy it, I'll buy it, and I'm going to do this with it. Or if you want to buy me out, and then I'll uh, wind out elsewhere. Um, and so she chose to buy me out at the time, um, and that was when I was, you know, got really excited. Um, I jumped in my car, drove over to Kent's house one day, and I'm like, hey. He's like, what are you doing? It's four o'clock. I don't know it was the morning. I think it was nine o'clock on a Tuesday. He's like, I know you work too much, Brian. Why are you in my office at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday? I'm like, dude, I just quit my job. I'm like, I need to I go. <laughs> oh. uh, so, yeah, so that was uh, that was 2012. And uh, we were like, hey, let's wind this thing up. And he had just got the firm going. You know, I was, uh, my wife and I were his biggest investor and, in the first project. And so I was helping okay. him out on the side. And, and, uh, he had, and so we jumped in. And that was when we decided to do it.
1: So that, I, I love that, Brian. And you know, I want to pull from a couple concepts from the, the academy that uh, I know you've had gotten some exposure to. Of the like, when we think about like so many entrepreneurs, they get to this point where I notice where they're like, "I need something different," and I, I, I tend to find that it's more of the the activities of the job the things that they're talking about the people they're working with every day their job not necessarily the asset because all the conversation happens like well don't sell your company yet because the asset whatever it is but like when people kind of get this like it's like they're not they're not jiving with their role and the vision of what the path that they're on how did you start to think about that because obviously i mean you you you, because you just said like what i heard you say is like hey i was wanting to wind this up and you know, yep. scale it nationally, but instead you take real estate in a completely different avenue. How were those both of those ideas solving some sort of passion that you had? Yeah,
0: you know, I always said um, I like people and I like numbers, and and so the candid question of why to go from accounting to real estate was real estate had more relationship orientation to it, and especially the way Kent wanted to do it. Um, and I and I totally respect him for that. But 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 the real genuine answer to your question is. Uh, I'm a big Tommy boy fan. If you guys, if you know the movie, or, <laughs> yeah. You know, big, big Tom Callahan said it best when he said, you're either growing or you're dying. And uh, that really is it. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, at the firm, I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but I look back and like, I just wasn't growing anymore. And uh, I just, man, I love pushing things hard, being gas on gas pedal, just, you know, you you can't, you can never imagine what you can accomplish unless you push on it. And uh, I will say the team around here, that's probably their biggest stress because I mean, we had joked, but is, is enough ever enough? And it's it's not about it's not about the money. It's not about the wealth. It's not about the number of buildings. It's just fun, like pushing things, doing things you never thought you could do. And so that was the That's biggest so thing. Cool. At that time, I knew with the direction that my partner wanted to take the firm that we weren't going to push the gas pedal that I had. And I'm like, you know, oh, so for cool her, time. it was an academic thing. And she could be smarter and better. And that and was great. I, and I respected her for that. But I'm like, I want to go put me in front of hospitals. I think we could take this thing national. We should hire another 30 people. We could have an impact. And, and that's what it is probably as I would or just impact on people. You know I mean? Oh, the cool. impact so cool you can cool. have out there is just so much more.
1: It's very helpful, Brian, because, you know, we talk uh, in the Academy of growing wealth, having fun and making an impact, kind of living in the middle of those. And a lot of times, you know, like when we entrepreneurs are talking to our buddies about like, should we move on? And like, I me. Mean, what you said, I think, has a lot to do with it. I talked to one of our clients recently, very large business. Um, finally hired a president. I mean, making millions of dollars in EBITDA. He's like, "Dude, I'm so bored." I'm like, "I got to figure it out." And I'm like, "So he's trying to figure out his next thing, even though the machine's running now." So I think it's so important to be self-aware, like you're talking about, because then I think when people don't become self-aware, like you're talking about, then they feel that trappedness that you have probably experienced with your or you've heard from your buddies, where like I got to get out of this because they just feel like so suffocated from it. So what did Kent say then? So you show up, you're like, Hey, well, let's do this. So like, how did the, those conversations, he's got a job at the point yep. at this point, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, no. He, we laughed about it.
0: Cause we'd always wanted to work together. And I always teased him. Cause I said, you can sell more in one you know, meeting than I can perform in a year. And so I always told him like, we got to do a product that has like an infinite volume to it. And so his idea was, he's like, look, we've been doing this real estate on the side for years and so we're out rehabbing houses, and then Monday morning we'd show up. In my world, I'd show up at a CPA firm. In his world, he was a financial planning world. So he would show up, and he was doing seminars and talking about how to grow wealth. And he's like, people would come up, and they'd be like, you know, what do you do? He's like, well, I, you know, I, I wholesale ETFs or mutual funds or annuities, and he had done all the products. We're like, okay, so what are you doing with your money, Kent? Well, I'm doing stocks and bonds. And he's like, they're like, what are you really doing? All right, so you really inside, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and so, how our, are you actually making your money? Exactly. And so, you would tell them, and then people would be like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds awesome!" If you ever need money, or if you ever want an investor, like I love my money there. And so, Kent would say, "It's like I, you hear that, you know, a couple thousand times." And you get an idea, right? So that was his idea. Yeah, it's like,
1: hey, like, no, I'm trying to, at the seminar, we're here, so for AUM, and over here, you're giving me money, and I'm yes, <laughs> just like, yeah, here's so your that, sign,
0: right? So that was what we went for. It. We're just like, you know, at the end of the day, there's all people that want to invest in real estate. They don't have access to it. Yeah, you can buy a REIT, but we all know that's watered down. There's 16 levels of, you know, middle people in there that are pitching it or selling it or, or asset managing mm-hmm. it. So we're like, let's just go direct, and so that's how we started day one. We're like, let's go directly to investors, and uh, so we went. I mean, we chuckled now, right? Went to an investor and said, "Hey, we want to um, want you to invest in a product. Um, we've never built an apartment building, uh, we've never operated an apartment building, and uh, you're the first investment. Uh, do you want to invest?" And and we uh, fortunately trust us. <laughs> <laughs> we fortunately got a few people on board, and uh, we raised the first project. I think it took six months uh, to get that money rate right, to get a million and a half raised up. And, uh, but that's where it started. We started investing uh, with investors right alongside of them. Uh, So they would pool anywhere from a hundred, you know, now it's a hundred to a million dollars, but a hundred thousand million dollars, but people pool their money in and we, we build institutional scale. And that takes you back kind of to your first question of growth and that, you know, like, I mean, our joke was, yeah, we could do four plexes and then eight plexes and then a 20 plex and keep growing that way. Or we could just bite hard, you know, dig into our relationships fund up equity. And then we knew we could put people together. And that was the thing we knew we would do. So rather than build a small building with one or two people, let's build an institutional sized building that you can get scale. You know, you can hire a manager. It's efficient. And somebody, you know, in New York city or somewhere else wants to buy that building for a really big number. So
1: that's really the, love the advent of it. So you and Kent are sitting there having these conversations, I can assume, right? Like, Hey, here's what we're capable of doing. So, how did like, I mean, obviously, you're being brothers, you know, each other very well. Give us some insight on like your guys's relationship. Obviously, you have a kind of a clarity on the difference of roles and how that works. But like, you know, when we talk about jobs versus like, there's the equity and these assets, and like, how did the structure work that you guys were putting together? And how did that structure align with what you guys like the scale you guys thought you could hit?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's probably a cliche answer, but it's trust. I mean, I, I just I knew Kent would perform. I knew he'd work harder than anybody else and he'd never quit. And so that's really it. Uh, you know, from the days of we were booking planes to fly to our properties, uh, putting it on credit cards because we didn't have the money. And Kent's like, I think if we do another 10,000, I can get this investor on, or, you know, and I'm like, all right, dude, I trust you. You'll get him on there. Yeah. put it up. <laughs> so it's, but that's the biggest thing, you know, just growing up together, we knew each other, we finished each other's sentences, we challenge each other, as you, anybody around here can attest, we don't always, uh, we don't always agree, um, but we always commit, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be sitting in the meeting with him. we'll battle head on whether we're going to build this or do that. And uh, I'm like, all right, I agree, your spot's the right position, I'll commit. And so that's the biggest thing, just knowing mm-hmm. that he'll always be there, knowing we'll never quit, you know, knowing that we'll push through those hard spots. And, and we all try and make the right decision in the spot.
1: How, how do you take that trust that you and Ken have and distribute that as a cultural norm throughout your team?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, a lot of directions. I mean, the first one, you know, you referenced the team and, and you said it earlier is that, you know, I know, by the way, and, and I try to be quiet, I don't want everybody to hear this, but I mean, I've never run a 250 person company, right? Like, I'm not the best at that. I, I'm awesome at starting things pushing hard, you know, doing this. So we've brought in a team to operate that. I mean, you know, and so that's, I mean, our our exec team and our senior leadership team are incredible people. They've worked really hard. They've been smart. They've done other things. And so, like, I put them in, we put them in charge and we're like, go get it. Like, we believe in you. Um, You're better at this than I am. And so we trust it. And so that's where, like, and that goes down. Like our, you know, we did an exercise around here of what's your best day. um, What's your best day when you're at your best? And, uh, you know, Shane LaFave works with me and he's on our exec team. He's like my best days. It like, goes back. And I remember how years, how many years ago it was, you guys believed in me. We went and did a project up in Fridley and we couldn't put it under con a technical legal contract. So we had to put $400,000 in the line with to kick out all these tenant retail tenants. Cause we we're going to push it over, do an apartment building. He's like, you believed in me. And you just told me to go do it. And you checked in, but I, but I wasn't babysitting them. And so it's just like, He's like, that's when I was at my best and you showed that to me. And so that's how we run the team, you know, and all the way to the investors. I mean, I I look at the investors. I will show all the performance, the models, the market studies. Mm -hmm. We have it all like we are as dialed in as we can be on everything. But I was like, I'm like, at the end of the day, you're really invested in us. Like, do you believe Mm -hmm. we can do what we say we can do? Because anybody Mm -hmm. can put together a performer. Anybody can put a number on there. I'm like you're looking at us and saying, "Do you believe?" Yeah, but then, do you trust team? the performer?
1: Right? Who's going to be who's going to be executing that those beautiful numbers that just go perfectly up in 45 degrees? Right? Exactly.
0: No, and that's it. So it's it really is a big part of just trusting people and 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 knowing what they're doing.
1: How have you guys ever been challenged with how you trust first? Well, we probably trusted the commodity markets a little bit too
0: much years back, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously individual wise you you trust people in that and and they're going to run off the rails every now and then. And, you know, if it's the right people they learn and those are great lessons. I've never yelled at anybody um, for mistakes, Um, but there's, there's times when you trust a little, you know, I guess you would say too much. And, you know, we, uh, we have had, I mean, as business leaders, we always try to move faster on things. And I heard a great phrase from Chris Carlson, who's an investor and a friend and a, a great man. He was. Um, at,
1: yeah, I just republished his podcast. Actually, two two weeks ago. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. He was episode two hundred and one, and I was like, everybody's been talking about private equity so much. I'm going to repost uh, Carlson's podcast. Yeah, no, no joke. I was in Vistage with Jim Glomset as, oh, his, yeah. uh, yep. as his second in command. Yeah, no, he's
0: awesome. When we, what Chris just said to us, this was I think two weeks ago. He's like, when people show you who they are, believe them.
1: I was like, whoa. Is that where I got that damn phrase? I, I don't man, know. I'm
0: getting, maybe you gave it to, maybe you gave it to him, but I'm definitely. No, cause it. like I,
1: so I, I, I heard that a while ago, Brian and shame on me. And that has bit me so many times. And yeah. that's why, that's actually why I asked, you know, if, as trusting too much, uh, bit you because I love to trust first. Cause life is just personally more enjoyable for me, but yep. then it's the whole verify thing. And like, when do you believe them? Right. And like, and, and here's maybe more of a clarifying part of the question is, When you want to trust first and you need to believe people when they show you what their real colors are. I've personally been victim of ignoring it because I'm on track towards my vision and I don't want to deal with the setback of like, Hey, this person's probably not the right fit or not the right culture. Like, have you ever struggled with that? Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, you always have the spots and
0: you know, we're, we're in spots where we're we're looking at like, Oh man, Or even like, I'm going to look stupid, right? Like I hired this person, Mm -hmm. I put him in a leadership role. So I'm going to keep making it better. And I think that's one of the things we fall into the most is you're almost worried about your perception or what you've done. And so you want to make it right, you go too far. And so that's been Mm -hmm. our biggest thing. And we had a situation probably two years ago where we moved in and made a big leadership switch. And uh, we were prepared for all the fallout and all that. And at the end of the day, we got more pats on the back of like, we respect you more. We trust you more. We believe in you more because of the hard decision we made. Because you know, people understand those aren't simple decisions. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> it's so true, it.
1: man. Every every single time I've ripped the bandit off, people come up and I'm like about time Ryan. Yeah. And it's like god you know you're just sitting there floundering around by yourself as the leader like should i shouldn't i should i shouldn't i yeah. well everybody sits there and judges and like for the right reasons right and it's just like usually you make the right decision and it's usually too late in my my well, my personal experience yeah and i think you know
0: what it gets to and you love this is you know the people person you are but it's, it's just such a cultural thing and and that's what we've been really working on lately to define because you know, with, with the hiring markets, as tough as it is to find people today, sometimes we're kind of flexing and cha- not changing, but adjusting mm-hmm. who we are. And so we've made a real concerted effort literally in the last six months of like, let's define our culture. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know who we are. And I'm like, I want it written down. What is it? Tell me. Wow, well, you know, it's one of those things you can see and you can feel, but you can't touch. Totally agree with that, right? But let's write it down. And so we've been working. We've brought some tools in and some resources to really define who we are. And I won't get, I'll, I won't bore you with it on here, but, but we had a really cool tour like right? We're family oriented. We're family business. We're clan mentality. We're all a team, but we're competitors. You know, we want to win out there. We want to achieve. We want to do this. And so what are we more? And I mean, even for Kent and I, and you asked it earlier, like we're brothers, man, we don't talk about anything personal. Like, we get together. It's like all business, all we're doing, all where we're going. And I'm like, you know, is that great? Maybe it's not the healthiest thing, but that's what we are. So because but if you enjoy it, then yeah. you don't have to apologize for it. <laughs> no. And that's what but like what we want to do and like we want to achieve, we want a team that comes in and every day they want to be like we want to be better than we were yesterday. We want to accomplish more. We want to make more money for our investors. We want to you know, so like that's that's what we've been working on is just really defining who we are. And then we're trying to be unapologetic of it. Just saying, here's who we are and and let's the team that's here, they are it. Like you're fine. You're awesome. Let's mm-hmm. keep going. But let's define who we are so the people that come in, they don't get here and a month later like whoa what did i sign up for you know We're like no this is who we are
1: so so when i th- that's very helpful because i think defining culture is a very difficult thing but the nuances of like when people show up how they dress how they talk i mean it's just all those nuanced things that that are that paying attention to them then you can actually change them when i think about you know being a 250 person team going back to 2012 that's some serious growth how have you and kent Bent, like so, like when you guys said, "Okay, hey, we're off. We're gonna start doing this." What was the original vision, and how have you modified the goals as time has been going on? And the kind of the context is like, are you pushing the goalposts off while you're having fun, or like how are you reassessing what that BHAG is and what you guys are trying to uh, march towards?
0: Yeah, you know, to be candid, the, the goal and the vision is exactly the same. It's it's people in numbers. It's having fun in business. Um, and, and really about our investors. So the, the goal has stayed the same. Um, the candid answer is we've struggled because we kept setting a three-year goal. We kept accomplishing it in a year. And so it's <laughs> your EOS concept, which we believe EOS Aurora's uh, here, and uh, we think it's one of the top things that have made us who we are. But we set our BHAG in 2017, and we said we want you know you know it's a BHAG right? Like what do you what do you dream of being someday? We're like oh wouldn't it be great to have 10,000 units? I think we had like 600 at the time. Like, how much real estate? Oh, let's have two billion. Wouldn't that be awesome? And uh, at the time, I think we had 400 million. So those were like our goal posts. And then we got to last year, we had to reset them because we literally hit uh, on the same closing. This is super coincidental fun. On the same closing, we crossed over the 10,000 mark units and we crossed over the two billion of real estate in January of 2023. Um, And we weren't set to hit that goal until the end of 2025. So, three years early, we hit it um and and we saw it coming but it was super fun same closing click this over
1: both of those that's congratulations yeah. dude. that is so that is so awesome a couple comments on it one is uh, i just got done reading the book 10x is easier than 2x by dan sullivan and ben hardy i don't know if you've come across that book recently but um highly recommend it because it, it kind of talks about i would say like what you are doing i don't know if that was intentional or not yeah. like it's such a fascinating concept Brian. Where are like if you have the 10x That eighty percent should fall to the wayside because it's not going to get you to that ten x. Have you guys adopted that, or is that kind of how how does that mindset reconcile with what you guys have been doing?
0: Yeah, you know, I haven't read the book, and I've heard it referenced. I got to get to it. But uh, the biggest thing is just the EOS model for us, just keeping us, especially as entrepreneurs, you know, keeping those guardrails on you, keep you marching forward, so you don't get distracted where you're going. And, and I think that's just been truly instrumental to us that you, you get that path. And I think that's part of it. You know, I I always love what Bill Gates said. Uh, you always overestimate what you can do in the short term and you underestimate what you can do in the long term.
1: And that's that's mm-hmm. been for us true in uh, time after time. And so- You're staying focused. Yeah. And it's- How, So then the second follow-up question to that is, as you've been accomplishing these goals so fast, you people in numbers, and like what I'm trying to uh, unpack is like, how you're explaining to the team, hey, we hit your goal. We're just going to put a new goal out there. Like there could be a set of culture or people where that gets exhausting. And then they, the question of, hey, what's this all for comes into play. So how do you balance the numbers and the people? Yep. Yeah, you know, it's really been, um, we've pushed teams really hard and we do
0: get that feedback every once in a while. You know, when is enough, enough. And our, my, my true answer to that is, I think I want to be the guy that just pushes you harder than you thought you could go. And so I want you to look back and say, man, you know, I don't want you to look back and say, oh, I could have done more here. I'm like, I want you to look back and be like, I never dreamed I could do this. I could accomplish this. I could create this. So that's our goal with it. And so, but we worry, I mean, we set a, a really huge goal in uh, 2022. Um, and and obviously none of us saw the interest rates and things like that coming. So we set a goal of 24 closings and we whiffed on it. We hit 16 Um, and I I tried to portray the message, like, I was so proud of the team, I'm like, we accomplished a huge feat by getting to 16, so that's great, pat yourself on the back, I know we didn't hit 24, and so we're setting up this year already, you know, we've, we set up a goal as 20, and we're saying, oh, God, with interest rates going where they've gone, the real estate's changed, like, let's just be aware of that, and Mm -hmm. so it's all right if we hit 18, you know, it's all right if we don't hit what we set out to, because goals are set for a reason, they're set to be lofty, they're set to be Mm -hmm. things that you really dream of accomplishing, so it's, I mean, for us, that's been trying to manage that. And we try to make it in a very tangible way. And so I'll show the team, like, look, this is the goal, but this is how we think we're going to get there. Like, here's the closings that are lined up, or here's Mm -hmm. the number of units, you know. And it's all on a spreadsheet. And that's what I believe is that, you know, people are so afraid to model it. I'm like, look, at the end of the day, when you model it, you can see how it's going to happen. The reality is it may happen differently. We all know that. But you got to put that assumption in so people can see that path and how they can accomplish it.
1: Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying the interview with Brian so far. I had to interrupt to give the call to action and I just couldn't resist because of how funny it is that Brian interviewed me for a finance job and he said no because he didn't think numbers would be my thing. And here I am doing a commercial about numbers because uh, Brian didn't hire me and now we're both talking about finance. So I think that there's one common theme between Brian and I is that we both really care about a plan and if we project out the plan so brian being in real estate he's got to be projecting out the equity value that the real estate investments for his investors and they got to work that plan and they got to communicate that plan that is exactly how you should be running the business and that is exactly what we did not when we had our family business and i wish we would have and as we actually got close to the end of before we sold our, our business what i noticed is that with the good numbers the conversations that I had to have that were hard with the bank or with other suppliers or vendors was way easier when we were constantly dealing with our AP and our AR and the cash conversions. Like all that stuff was extremely frustrating and time-consuming with no visibility when we were running the $20 million business. However, when you put the numbers to it, you're just going back and talking to everybody based on what you think is going to happen, and then you reconcile it against the numbers about what actually happened. And the one thing that I learned from my experience going through that is you might not always be right. You're most likely not going to always be right. However, if there's a plan and then everybody works that plan and then we only deal with the deviations from that plan, most people, if the intent was well grounded in trying to work the plan and people in the plan were wrong, most people have unbelievably huge amounts of grace. So I just watch the tension, the conflicts go down. If you build the plan with the clear numbers, you can work the people and spend the time on the people that you want to. So you don't have to be just a numbers organization. So I think that the discipline, the numbers, and the clarity in the plan allow you to work the people and the relationships like Brian's talking about. So if you want that, I'd say go check out the Intentioner Growth Starter Kit, as I always say. So you can see how I project out the value of a company with the three financial statements. So if you had a clear plan like that, can you imagine how powerful it would be to manage your culture and manage all of the stakeholders within your organization. So apologize for the slightly longer commercial, but I appreciate everybody tuning in and I hope you check out the starter kit and enjoy the rest of the interview with Brian. Uh, very fascinating. I I feel that my brain works very similar to yours because, um, and I think this will get into, yeah, we are both like kind of salespeople, numbers people, and both, both didn't land in tax over, over a long period of time. Um, but uh, is a uh, It's like when you have those numbers out there, it's like, then it's like, you you said something very fascinating is people are afraid to do that. And it's, I think it's kind of the same kind of fear, Brian, of like people stepping on the scale. It's like, now I have to deal with this, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you is like, when I've had really hard decisions to make, like partnership buyouts or like making an investment of the rock star that you didn't plan on, you couldn't afford. That's where I defaulted to saying, okay, how much do I believe in what's in front of me? And then the people around me. So like you, you have also gone through some hiccups. I can only imagine overall between 2012 until now with interest rates, you know, 09, all that kind of stuff. So what was like, when you were sitting there faced with like, I don't know if you ever bounced any checks or if you had the, uh, you know, some questions of where the payroll is going to come from, how did you reconcile the short-term pain to that long-term goal? Like, how did you mentally think about that through conversations with Kent, your team? How did, how did you handle that? Yeah, you know, it's always, I
0: mean, it's, it's about just figuring it out, I guess. But I was trying to think about that. I mean, we had, you know, this is where you start to feel old. I'm like, man, we've been through the dot-com bust. We went through 09, You know, we went through COVID. We're going through current interest rates. And and for us, we went through a, an oil commodity market out in the Dakotas because that's where, you know, one of our starts was uh, where we learned how good we are is building uh, uh, housing for oil workers. And so we built apartment buildings out in western North Dakota, um, we were going gangbusters, um, and uh, you know, we just were putting on the line doing it, and all of a sudden, one day oil markets turned. And so, I mean, I guess it's just always last midnight,
1: like, like 13, 14, or something yeah. like that.
0: It started down in 14, and I'll never forget, we went to our banks right two years oh.
1: into your deal, too. So, it wasn't like yeah. halfway in,
0: correct? <laughs> it was, we had, we had, so I think, we did 13 buildings out there. Um, we still own nine of them today, by the way. Um, but but we got to also we saw the markets turn. We knew it was a supply issue. We knew we had a problem. So we went right to our banks and we go to people. We're super transparent. We're like, hey, guys, we got a problem. And they're like, oh, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Summer driving season. We're like, no, no, this is going to be bad. You guys, this is a supply issue. It's going to take at least 18 months. We're going to need help. You're going to need to be there for us. You're like, ah, don't worry about it. So we started- How do you,
1: as we continue, how do you deal with the fact that you're telling your bank I know. that the bank should be concerned? And they're like, no, you're fine. What kind of confidence? How does it do to your, what's that do to your mindset? Well, you don't
0: know at the time and you're like, maybe I'm missing something, right? But like we started conserving cash day one. Uh, so 2014, we conserved cash. We made a lot of money that year, but we didn't put a dime. And we literally saved it all in the buildings. And so then it took through 2015 until we burned through our cash. And we went, you know, I was- Every morning I'd call my dad. He's like, Do you talk to your banks, you talk to your investors. I'm like, "Yep." Yeah. And so we always pick our phones up and, and that's where like, I still have my investors. Uh, I, we have our cell phones on our business cards. I'm like, I, I pick up my phone when people call, if you want to know what's going on, we'll answer you. But so that's what we did. We were very transparent. We were like, look, here's the problem. And so we modeled the problem. I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Like, here's some ideas. You know, and I, I always remember there's a banker that told us, hope is not a plan. <laughs> I'm like, I got it, you know, as he's threatening <laughs> to take my house. And so, I but, hope I'm going to pay my loan back, Mr. Bank. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. And we're like, totally. So here's a model. Here's what it looks like. They're like, you think those buildings are going to go to 50%? I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm like, I think it's going to get bad. They're like, okay. So what if we start now? And So, so we did get really good participation from our banks in those days, but it was working on every bank. And that's, I mean, that's what we talk about, failure always leads to success. I mean, we totally failed, man. We shouldn't have over-concentrated in that market. We shouldn't have trusted the oil markets like we did. Um, you know, we just, we made we made a couple calls that we should have done differently. And so we came out of there, and I always say, I mean, like I, the moment it was, December 23rd uh, was December 23rd, 2015, I think, when everybody was prepping for Santa, right? He's coming, checking their list. Kent and I had a call with a bankruptcy attorney. And obviously, I get a little emotional. I talk about The it. wrong Santa. I don't know. Right? What we were checking was, how much would we cons- conserve in our houses, when they took our houses? I mean, that was that was the discussion we had. And we're like, you know, this thing, we, we can't outrun it. Like, we just, there's, there's not enough capital out there. There's not enough re- residents. And so we're like, so you ask, what do you do? You know, we sat down. We're like, man, at the end of the day, Kent and I looked at it. and like, we have one of two options. Either we go through bankruptcy, button it down, see what we can save as personal assets come out of this. Or another idea is blow the doors wide open and run, run wide open to see if we can outrun this problem. Because like
1: coyote, What's a, uh,
0: you wildly Coyote. Yeah, wildly Coyote, right? coyote exactly yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like too. Because I mean, we're like, I'm like, can't run to the other side. <laughs> and that's where that's where the relationship comes in. Numbers and people. You know, I'm like, can't. I'll go out to North Dakota. I'll work every loan out. We'll do everything we can. Um, but I need you to open the doors wide open. You need to talk to every investor you can find. I don't care if it's your neighbor, your sister, who you got to invest, your parents, like everybody, like we need new projects, new markets. It's now we look back, it's only 400 units that we have out there, but we had 400 units out there. And so mm-hmm. we did like, and I tell people, where I am, I'm like, man, there's days I'd get up in the morning. And I'm like, there's no reason to get up. I can't win today. Like the bank's coming in on us. Our residents are moving out. You know, it's North Dakota. Like if there's no oil job there, they're going back to Texas. And so we were like so we as one foot in front of the other. Like it's trusting God, it's trusting our country. You know, I always say like, you know, and this you're probably getting really ramble, but I always, I always respect our veterans because I'm like, man, those guys went and fought for our country to put us in a spot that we can feel things like this, right? That I can feel yeah, like, right. how are we going to survive this? We can we can fail, we can succeed, and so that's the moments I think you just lean on trust God, relationships, family, everything of like we're gonna go one foot in front of the other and and activity breeds activity
1: and opportunities so amen brother however that is rough and i can say that from personal experience because i remember when so it was a two hundred forty thousand dollars payroll every two weeks and it was uh tuesday the bank wire needed to happen on thursday night and we had zero funds and we're walking on tuesday and this hawk brian comes out of the sky and lands on the handicap sign that my dad and I are walking by as we're walking into the front door. No. And we're like, huh. And literally, literally, we're like, what in the hell are we going to do? We're so screwed. And I'm at this point, I'm driving all over for purchase orders so I can sell them to the bank for the fi- factory. <laughs> and, like, and we find out, Brian, that our CFO seven years ago had put a lien on a, a business owner's building because they didn't pay their copier bill. And we got a lawyer for 80 grand because the guy sold his building that day. <laughs> But like yeah. when you say hope is not a plan, it kind of worked that time. Yeah. So it's like we kind of both talk out of each side of our mouths. But I'm curious, man, because like it's so hard. Like when you're going through that, and you said you're not able to wake up because you don't know if you can win. How do you deal with that? I mean, like I know one step in front of each other, but like you're having conversations. Like so, here's all the things that I I think of going through my head. Of it's my identity, it's my reputation. You guys are raising money from family, friends, your sisters, and like and so it's your identity, your reputation it's your job, it's your retirement, it's your spouse who's betting on you. How do you, am I making you stressed right now? Yeah, I know, I'm trying to
0: <laughs> put myself back. I think maybe it's, Anderson. I don't know, you know, we, but yeah, it, it's, it is a spot to be in. I mean, Katie and I had the discussions and Kent and I had the discussions and, but I think there's, there's obviously an innate belief that something can work out. And, and maybe it's just a simple belief that inactivity is not an answer you know, not doing the right thing is not the answer. And so, you know, we had those moments of payroll, like you talk about, or like banks and, or old things. And we're like, God, this is going to cut us deep. But the right thing to do is to pay the bill, you know? And so I right, think it, right, right, sometimes right. it's just going on the right thing. And even if we were going to crash and burn, at least I could look the investors in the eye and there's no way going to say, I didn't try. And I went down without a yeah. fight. And so that's probably part of it. And the other part is just that belief that, that, you know, you, you can figure it out. You can get there. And I mm-hmm. do, you know, and now having been through some of those, I really do like we've got a situation out in Milwaukee right now with our firm and I'm, our leaders are dealing with it. I'm not even dealing with it. And I'm like, how you doing? I'm checking in them. They're like, man, I don't know how we're going to come out of this. I'm like, you know what? I believe you will. Here's where I've been through. I know you will. I'm not stressed at all. I'm like, but you're Mm -hmm. going to define some moments here in yourself. I'm like, you're going to figure it out. (laughs) I'm not stressed, but
1: you're going to have some lessons learned throughout this process. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what it is.
0: I think it's just the belief that, uh, that you do the right things and you will come through it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and we leaned in on people, you know, we had to ask for help. We went and set up a debt committee. We brought in, you know, the biggest investors, the smartest people we could find to help advise us. Um, You know, we hired a debt consultant. We didn't have any money and, he, by the way, the first meeting, he, uh will never forget, he patted him on the back and he, he didn't say it's going to be all right. He said, boys, most people rebuild from this kind of stuff. That was his statement to us.
1: <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> that. I, bet, like,
0: I bet like you're hot. Like it's the best thing that could have ever happened. Like when he did that, I remember being like, Oh my God, like it's that bad. Like, but we again. Uh-huh. So, and it's, you know, the rest is history, but I, I we never missed a bank payment. We never, I, there's nobody we owed money. That's awesome. I mean, I, our hard, credit man. is perfect today. And if you look at what we went through, like it was brutal. And like, we refinanced the building during that time is July 4th. I'm out at the cabin with the family, you know, everybody's playing out in the water oh, I'm so taking call to call. And finally I called them like, you guys, if you call again, I don't have more money. Like, cause they'd, they'd forgotten the extra <laughs> or they'd forgotten. We need 50,000. It's gone. 000. I got
1: a tube here. I can sell. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was. like,
0: Guys, if you call again, I don't have any more money. Like, this thing has to close because we're done, and uh, yes. it got closed, and everything you know, everything turned, and, and that's where like just having those buildings, having that volume, having the team that we had, I mean, that's that's what brings you through it always.
1: So that's awesome, man, and and I think you know your your people and numbers theme is is very applicable here because like when I was going through that, Brian, like without the numbers, people, it's hard for people to trust. Cause there's no plan. You know what I mean? So like, I think it's both of those, like the numbers breed trust. And it's like this, there's a total circle in between of them because then you're not making, you're not lying to people. You're saying, here's what I hope to happen. And we're going to try and execute. And then you're adjusting accordingly versus people kind of thinking that you're lying to them over and over again, because there's no proof that you can reconcile it against.
0: Yeah. Well, that's right. So much of it is just being real and you said it earlier, but but being honest about what's happening, right? Like we went out to our investors and I mean, there's still, all of them are still, a a lot of them are still investors today. And uh, we we're like, look, this is what we do, but it's, it's what's made us who we are. You know, when we mm-hmm. go to our investors, we're like, Hey, here's the numbers on this project. You are like, that's bad. I'm like, yeah, no, I, it's bad. Like, but let's be real. about that. <laughs> Correct. That and is then, exactly you know, what it is. And <laughs> so, so then we did like last year, you know, we sold, I mean, the market couldn't be better. Right. Last year we sold nine buildings. I think we made our investors wow. more money than anybody. I mean, we were getting them hundred to 125% returns. You know, they're cheering and high five and we're like, Hey, we did the right thing when it needed to happen and let's all celebrate this together. But, you know, that's, and that's what we do. But those are the fun days that, you know, and it goes back
1: it. to your $88,000 write up versus the $5,500 loss. What's the average over time, right? That's, well, and, <laughs> and, and that's, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to, uh, I was just going to say is when I think, when I, when I think about these defining moments too, Brian, and when there's, a, it's, I have this love, hate relationship with constraints, because constraints, which not a lot of people are comfortable with these days, constraints I believe breeds innovation and very unique opportunities. And you and Kent have a very unique way of raising your funds. Mm-hmm. Did that per- Did that transpire out of when you said, "Hey, like Kent, open up the gates"? Yeah, because the other all the alternative is to fold the the shop. How do, I, does that make sense? The constraints yeah. breeds innovation. No,
0: it's totally who we are, and that's where, like, you go back to why we started this thing, right? Like, we wanted to work with investors, and that's the uniqueness to us. You reference it. We raise our money almost. I mean, we do probably twenty percent institutional uh, on our market rate side, and eighty percent friends and family, as we call it. And people tease awesome. us like, "You got a lot of friends and family," because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> it's a We raised a bit- <laughs> hundred million dollars last year through that channel. But you know, growing up, we had these investors, and so in the hard days. I mean, I got to look them in the eye and let them know that I'm doing everything I can, right? In the good days, it's fun. I mean, there's nothing more fun. Like we sent out a distribution on our Rapid City project last week. And I'm getting texts from my parents, by the way, and other friends that are like, hey, thanks for the distribution. Like this money matters to people, right? Like we're helping people with retirement funds, with legacy money, you know,
1: charitable causes. I mean, it's just. What we're doing out there. Well, break down, Brian. Like, because I think for the listeners that may or may not, because like in private equity and REITs and all the like, all the the players kind of play the same. But I think it gets lost in the noise where it's when you say twenty percent institutional, that's like the pension funds, the endowments, right? Like, yep. so like the uh, why I'm pulling this thread is because that person that's managing a billion dollars and you're like, Hey, here's an extra, here's the return that I promised. They're going, yeah. thank you. That was your job yeah. versus the reward that you're getting. For, so explain the 80% cause it's yeah. a unique deal. What, yep. Like and how you guys are doing that. Yeah. So it's literally individual investors. Um, we joke with
0: people. It is not, everybody thinks, Oh, it's, you know, the Uber rich person out in Minnetonka or, you know, one of those, it's your everyday people. Like it's people that have 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to invest with us all the way up to, I was on the phone with a, with a family office this morning, but it's, it's, true genuine people. And so it's normally a hundred thousand to a million is kind of our sweet spot. But so it's somebody that comes and says, Hey, you know what? I've I've got enough in the stock market. My retirement 401k is full. I want a real estate investment. I want something direct on the ground. You know, I don't want to put it in the market and I don't see it or, you know, uh, news releases about Taylor Swift doing something and the market goes down or, you know, it's, I mean, I just want something that's a real asset. And so that's what we have. I mean, it's, it's a real asset. You know, it's it's a capital gain asset, so it's taxed very adva- advantage. Um, and it's people that are just investing their money in it. So we raised hundred million dollars last year. So are they investing in particular? Yeah. So six hundred fifty investors. We raised about a hundred million dollars a year. Um, those investors have, are what have built the two point two billion dollars that we've done. And so you know they've they've put in the money. They're the equity on the side of it. We invest right alongside of them. So we're always the largest owner. Um, But we normally own ten to twenty percent of each building, and then the investors own the other eighty percent. And so, when we're crushing it down in Champlin or down in uh, Chanhassen or Fridley, or you know, it's the investors. And I say that all the time. Like when I get to these city meetings, I'm like, "Don't pat me on the back. We have a group of investors that stand behind us. They're the ones putting the money in. They're the ones. But they're local business people, or they're executives, or people that have extra funds they want to invest directly into a real estate asset.
1: So. Two questions then um are they investing directly in particular buildings, or is it like a do you have different funds that you roll over? what's the structure?
0: Yeah, our investors have tended to be a little more onerous. they want to know what building they're in. And so, okay. um, even we have ones that we'll put in every building, but they want to know, I'm going into Shakopee, I'm going into Rosemount, I'm going into Fridley, or, you know, they want to know what they're going into, because then they drive by it, or they go see it, and I'm like, you want to go tour it? Go to
1: I'm tour on it. part of that.
0: Like, yeah, yeah, no, or like, if you're going to, you know, one of the markets that you're invested in, and a lot of times we have show units, go stay in your building, see what it's like to be in an apartment, like, a lot of these people cool. obviously aren't apartment dwellers uh, or renters. Uh, they tend to be uh, on their houses, but they go see their buildings. They tangible, well, they can see it, touch it. You know, it's, it, and it's money that locks up for a while. So I say it's not as liquid as the stock market, but it just, it just goes, grows like this because it's not that, you know, swinging things the stock market mm-hmm. does. It literally just the grows. Debt, like
1: you're getting the tax advantages of the distributions and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. How are you guys finding these 650 people that, that can generate a hundred million dollars in, in uh, investments?
0: You know, it's, I mean, it's everything out there. We have a team of equity that goes out, mostly referrals. I mean, people that, you know, I, I just saw a number, we did an investor survey and 90% of our investors said, we will definitely refer you to people. And so wow. we're getting that response. And again, I'd love to tell you we're batting a thousand. We're not, as you, as you already heard. Um, but, you know, we just share with everybody the real truth and, and, and the information. And so even we've had investors that are in buildings that haven't done what we hoped it would do. They're like, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm going to invest again, or I'm going to get my brother to invest, or, you know, I was hanging out at the country club and -and so-and-so was talking about this. I think he'd be a good investor for you. We're like, perfect. That sounds awesome.
1: That's awesome. So, as you and Kent are crushing your goals and over two billion now, like what, what what are the goal what are the new goalposts and like what do you guys aspire to have long term for your career for like the is there a specific you know deployment amount like what what, what are the goals?
0: Yeah, you know um, the the real so the the, the the on paper goals we had to increase it to forty thousand units by twenty thirty. Um, we increased our twenty twenty five goal to twenty thousand units, so we doubled pretty much doubled all the, the original goals. Um, but you know, for us as 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 people in his goals, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I love, like we're not planning to keep growing or keep closing, you know, twenty this year, 25, 30 we're Like, look, let's just hit a clip of closing twenty projects a year. That's what we believe we can handle as a team. Uh, we'll keep doing that. You know, personal goals. It's really, I mean, it's impact. It's what can we do with our teams? How are we operating our company? You know, and so it, I can't say that I have this big financial goal and. You know, obviously, we've probably exceeded anything I ever dreamed of, and so then it's not about the money. You know, it's just about Mm -hmm. what we're doing, who we're investing for, how are we growing their wealth, and that's really the goalpost is uh, is that part of it. So it's it's really fun,
1: man. And well, as I say, that's really it's uh, what what I've uh, resonated a lot with is Dan Sullivan. I'm bringing up his book again because you know, in principle, when we talked about the vision, like, what do you want out of this? Is He talks about the four freedoms, and I just can't stop thinking about them, Brian, is freedom of time, then freedom of money, then freedom of relationships, and then freedom of purpose. We're like, if you love what you're doing, have as much do as much of that as you possibly can without regrets, like you said, unapologetically, but, but also have the ability to, if you decide that you don't want your job anymore or you don't want to be in this investment, have a plan so that way you don't blow everything up to get out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, is that kind of i mean do you resonate with that or how to like it seems like you would based on the conversation we've
0: had yeah well i mean it's it's funny like we have people now that will start saying uh, you know you've grown this far and you know what's next or who's going to take over what kind of legacy you know like hold on guys i'm 40 oh, i turned 45 oh darn it i'm 45 years old like, he, he like i don't i don't need to plan that out yet do i uh, but even like we just talked about it in that uh, in that session in, in the Awesome thing you put on in business orders in that. I mean, it really is like we come in because we want to. And that's that Mm -hmm. so principal bottom line. I'm like I hope, and we said this at our corporate meetings last week for our team, like, I hope you come in because you want to, not because you have to or need to. Like, I get up every Monday morning. I'm so excited. Like, we have a a full team meeting Monday morning at 830, and I can't wait to get in there. And then we go into our exec teams where we're making what I call the hard and the probably not fun decisions, but I'm like, that team is an amazing team. I love being there, being a part of that and seeing what they can accomplish. And that's, that's really where it's at is probably maybe that's the purpose and the goal is just what can this team accomplish at this point? Cause it's, it's done with me. Like
1: I'm, I'm over, I'm scared. You know,
0: I mean, what can I was just going to say,
1: so if it's all about the team, Brian, at what, at what do you have any players that are going to look at you and Ken and go, Hey guys, 20, come on, man, let's wind this up and actually scale it. They did our construction teams <laughs> are the main are they're, they're going, I mean, we're, you know, we started that construction firm just to really get control
0: on prices last year. And, control of our materials. And um, and that's been amazing for us. That thing's wound up. Um, we're saving more money on construction. Our investors are getting a better deal. I now sign the paychecks of everybody involved in that. So you can imagine so wow. I, if I need to pull a lever um, and the biggest thing for our investors is, you know, like if, if there's a project that's not doing well, I can lean all of our profits, all of our stuff, because what matters to us is investments and, and that side of it. I don't need to make money in construction. So that's not my purpose. My purpose is the investment in these buildings, mm-hmm. so we can lean in for them. But that thing's gone. I mean, if if the numbers came out today, we'd be like the number eight construction firm uh, in the state of Minnesota. No joke. And so wow. It's, it's quietly been just a, a little monster, but it's given us more control. You know, more ability to move what we need to to push banks to bet on the projects versus having to bet on other things. And so, that, but that's probably maybe that's playing. Yeah, yeah. What what more impact? You know, now I got... A bunch of more team and they are the ones that are like,
1: we want twenty-five projects. And I'm like, all right, I'll set you up for that. That's that's not what I mean. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I got a couple uh a couple last questions. one is is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should? No, I mean I think the
0: fun things to talk about, you you reference are just people, culture, you know, why we do what we do, um, our investors out there. I mean, we are always trying to get our name out there and you know, make sure people are, you know,
1: here's the plug, right? But if people are looking for investment. Well, why don't you do it? Because that's one of the questions. So where's the contact information? How do people find you?
0: Yeah. So give us a shout. We're at roarscompanies.com. Um, You know, I'm I'm always available. to my cell phone. Can I give that I probably shouldn't give that Yeah, up. give
1: it up. Right. Yeah, Nine, yeah,
0: absolutely. 952-210-7460. That's my cell phone number. And so we answer calls. We love getting investment discussions about it. Um, but that's how we grow our business. You know, the more people we can work with, the more individual investors, we can keep growing this thing. And that's that's been the, the fun part about it. But it's really getting to investors um, and continuing to grow that base and keep doing projects.
1: If you were to go back to the Brian Roars that was graduating college, going to KPMG, what would you say to him? <laughs> you know, I don't know that I'd change
0: a lot. That's what's funny. I mean, I'd, I would, uh, I mean, I guess I'd say believe in, you know, yeah, the times when you probably aren't as sure what you're doing, um, but just get that confidence. Keep maintaining wisdom. Do the right thing, which is what I feel like we've done, because um, it always works out in the end. And I
1: do believe. And that. like the, your quote that you had on your desk, man, I think it's pretty accurate, right? Yep. <laughs> do the hard things today that people don't want to do for tomorrow. Yep. Last question for you, man. Uh, what does the word intentional mean for you? Oh man, intentional is just
0: how do I use that? It's being intentional what you do, right? Like, and I, I'm very intentional. Like we, you know, my wife and I talk about. Who we hang out with, you know, and so hopefully if you're one of my friends on this podcast, you're very important to me because we're very intentional. Like we want to hang out with the right people uh, and, and it's not, it's not, you know, who believes more, but just do we have the same beliefs? Are we doing the same things? You know, in my world, are we pushing our kids to be better people, um, you know, and business wise, are we, are we, are we being intentional? We walk into a meeting, like we're there for a reason, you know, let's be honest about that and let's get for to that. And let's deal with that. So I think it's just, again, it's probably going back to do the right things and really being, um, how, how did
1: not use the word intentional? Come on, man, this is hard. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's tough. So, well, and the, and actually, I've, had, I've I've, get, I've had a lot of people giving me feedback like, Hey man, you've asked that 200 times now and people kind of say the same thing, which is purpose with the plan. Yep. And it's just, I think it's, it, you know, it kind of goes back to when you and I kicked it off. Uh, it's like, why are people doing what they're doing? And one of my most fascinating, uh, just like passions is like, why did people do that? Like, why did you make your decision? And so I think you, you've, you uh, I think that quote, man, on your desk, <laughs> it says a lot. It's, uh, it's been fun, but it is, you know, you were right on it there. I mean, the, the purpose and,
0: and uh, for us and for, I think for most people, it's all about the people. I mean, as you go to it, it's, you know, it's investors and being a part of it, It's our team. What can they accomplish? What can they do? And so it is, you know, as I get back, so I joked and I said at the beginning that it's about people and numbers. Um, and the numbers always work out if you have the right people or if you're surrounding yourself. And so, and maybe there's your back to intentional. Surround yourself with the right people and it'll be great.
1: Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been
0: fun seeing you, Ryan and what you've done too here. And I, I love you getting these messages out because I think they're so important out there. So-
1: Thanks so much. Thank you for not hiring me. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian. I can't tell you how much fun I had on that conversation. You probably could, uh, could tell, but if there's one thing that I really learned from listening to Brian is like, it is so possible to do really hard work, be very competitive, but also have a huge amount of grace because all we're all trying to do as humans is come up with a plan. We want a bigger purpose. We want to fit inside that bigger purpose. And as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we have to find that big purpose and then we have to fit all of our employees and our cultures inside of it. And Brian and Kent with Rohrer's Companies, they have built a big vision a BHAG that fits themselves, all their investors and all their uh, employees inside that vision I mean, think about how many things they did not see coming along their journey. I mean, you got the financial crisis, you got COVID, the lockdowns, interest rates, but they have continued to work that plan and communicate that with their investors and their employees and every stakeholder they're working with. And the reason I highlight that is because we all as entrepreneurs, we got to come up with a bigger vision that we can all, all of our people and all of our needs fit inside of. And then I think it's, Building out that forecast, knowing that you're most likely going to be wrong and things are going to be unknown, but building that forecast and that plan is the first step because then you can reconcile against that plan. But if you do not have a multi year forecast, what are you reconciling all of the anomalies against? How would you have known how to handle one of the situations if you don't have that plan? So I think the the big takeaway for me is that Brian's able to focus on culture, the communication, the transparency, because they have the plan. What I find is that the people that don't have the plan spend a lot more time having to justify their actions because there was no plan that they were able to reconcile their decisions against. So. I don't know. I've just been in both camps of a very detailed plan and a not a detailed plan. And all I know from my own experience is that there's way less drama and conflict and political you know, maneuvering when there is actually a plan. And then there, the stress and drama when something unknown happens is way less when you have the plan compared to when you don't. So the people that actually avoid planning, I think, get more of the drama and the conflict, which actually is, I think, one of the reasons they don't do the planning. Anyways, sorry, that's my little saga at the end of this, but I enjoyed the people and the numbers thing, the plan. Go check out the starter kit. Start forecasting out the value of your company. If you don't know the value of your company, go figure it out so you can forecast it out and then tie everybody's incentives towards the equity valuation and the point in time that you want so you can make the entire journey worth it. Next week, stay tuned for a conversation I have with Bill Flynn, who is an author and consultant. He wrote Further Faster, and we are going to be breaking down how to build elite teams how strategy and execution are actually one and the same coin, and then how to take that strategy and execution and then use the cash, which is the third thing that Bill's going to be talking about, to fund the strategy and execution towards the big vision that the entrepreneur and founders have. So it's a practical and actionable interview based on the last couple where we're talking about how people have done some pretty cool things. Now we're going to be introducing Bill where he's going to walk us through a framework that he created on how to get further faster. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I will talk to you next week.